If you're like me and can still recognize Mr. Brightside from the first note, and then can't resist screaming it at the top of your lungs, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarins Multi-Active Cream to your daily routine. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and sea holly bioextract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While multi-active cream can bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can de-stress your skin. Clarins Multi-Active Cream is available online now. Go to clarins.com slash truecrime and get multi-active day and night cream for 10% off, a free welcome gift, plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. Clarence.com slash truecrime with promo code truecrime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. You hear that? That's the sound of another sale with Shopify, your go-to for selling everywhere, online, in-store, and even on social media. Shopify POS is like the central hub for your retail operation. From payments to inventory, it's all there. Got different gadgets? No worries. Shopify's hardware is adaptable, fitting in just how you do business. Start transforming your retail business with an incredible offer. A trial for just $1 per month at shopify.com slash Wondery. All lowercase. That's shopify.com slash Wondery. Take the leap and upgrade your point of sale solution with Shopify. Visit shopify.com slash Wondery and start your trial today. I love road trips. Always have. There's just something about them, especially when you're young. You have your whole life ahead of you, a highway stretching to the horizon. But I'll spare you my sentimentalities. Besides, when I was actually young, those drives weren't romantic. I was just broke. You see, a lifetime ago, I was trying to break into Hollywood. But unless you've got connections, that door's shut in your face till you work hard enough to bust it down. For me... That meant driving cross-country every time I got a lowly production assistant job. My family didn't get it. To them, I might as well have been running away to the circus every few months. But to me, it was the first leg on route to my dream, to be a writer. The fastest drive from Maryland to L.A. was a grueling 40 hours in the barren, dusty back roads of the Southwest. I'd passed through 10 states before I ever reached Tinseltown. They were tedious drives risky too. But I'm not talking about blown out tires. There are scarier things out there on the road. Things with no clear fix and no logical explanation. Some folks come back with terrifying stories. That is, if they manage to survive them. Lucky for you, I live to tell mine. You're listening to Run Fool. I'm Rodney Barnes. And this is episode 13, The Phantom Hitchhiker. Our tale begins somewhere near Gallup, New Mexico. It's a small sun-baked town off historic Route 66, littered with roadside motels sitting in the shadows of sandstone cliffs. I was 10 hours from L.A. and hell-bent to finish the drive in one go. 
There was just one problem. It was already nighttime. So I stopped at a payphone and called my grandmother. You see, I promised grandma I'd ring her at the end of each drive. And because I didn't dare cross the woman, I did so dutifully every night. Like always, she was waiting for my call. And when I told her where I was, she asked the usual questions. Did I get something to eat? Yes, Grandma. Is your tank full? Yes, Grandma. Got a place for the night? It was here I told my grandmother one of the few lies I'd ever told her in my life. I said I was crashing at some roadside motel and I'd get an early start in the morning. She was pleased with that answer. Then before we hung up, she told me what she always did. Be smart, Rodney. You come home safe. To this day, I'm not sure if it was me she didn't trust or the rest of the world. Turns out, it should have been both. I got in my old GMC Sonoma and soon there was nothing in front of me but asphalt melting into the black horizon. I was in no man's land. I rolled down my windows and let the night air rush past my ears. I felt like the king of the desert, so I decided to go fast, real fast. 70, 80, 90. Before I knew it, my poor truck was pushing a hundred miles an hour. I hollered into the wind when something ahead caught my eye. There was a person on the side of the road, just standing there. When I turned to get a better look, they were gone, like some kind of mirage. I shook my head and set my sights back on the road. The desert was weird, man. Just then, something gray darted into my path. I slammed the brakes and my tires squealed as the car spun out. An eternity passed as my short life flashed before my eyes. When finally, the vehicle skidded to a stop. There, lit up in my headlights, like a spotlight on some strange ethereal stage, was a coyote. The creature stood still, just feet from my car as I caught my breath. It wasn't phased at all. It just gave me a withering look, then sauntered off into the inky night. My hands were shaking as I steered back onto the road. I decided I needed a distraction, something to keep my mind off what could have been. So I turned on the stereo. Not to date myself, but in those days there were no MP3s or CDs. And forget about Bluetooth, so that left the radio. In the boonies, in the middle of the night, there wasn't much on the air. I turned my dial, getting nothing but static and garbled church hymns, until a man's placid voice crackled into focus. He said, We're listening to Nighthawk AM. Tonight's story is about Bigfoot. Nighthawk was the late-night radio show for the strange and unexplained. Long before the internet, people could tune in to hear about conspiracies, cryptid encounters, ghosts, demons, you name it. If it was weird, they'd put it on the air. Now, some folks believe in that kind of stuff, but at the time, I wasn't one of them. Despite growing up on my grandma's strange tales, I was a proud skeptic. But whether I admitted it or not, there was always a small voice inside me that whispered, maybe I didn't know everything like I thought. Perhaps that's why I listened to the show. It had the special ability to thrill and chill you, even just for a little while. And after all, that's why you're here, isn't it? Anyway, the radio did the trick. I let the calm, matter-of-fact voice of the show's host wash over me as he chatted with a self-proclaimed time traveler. I was riveted, but just as things were getting good, I lost the signal. 
half past midnight, and I'd truly just entered the middle of nowhere. Have you ever been in the desert past dusk? You don't know nighttime until you have. That's where it gets darkest, that true black, where you look out of the window and all that stares back at you is your own reflection. I felt like I was driving straight into the abyss, and if things couldn't get any worse, it started raining. I flipped my wipers on and slowed down, and just as I turned the bend, I saw it again, a person. I blinked hard, but this time it was no mirage. There was a flesh and blood man on the side of the road, and as I peered out of my windshield in disbelief, he stuck out his thumb. This dude wanted a ride. I don't know what came over me then. This wasn't the 70s when no one gave a second thought to picking up strangers on the side of the road. But remember, I'd been driving for 14 hours straight. I wasn't exactly thinking clearly. Which was kind of the point. If I didn't want to fall asleep, I needed something drastic. And well, this fit the bill. So I pulled over and rolled down my window. He was a young guy, scrappy looking, but smaller than me. And I took comfort in that. I asked if he needed a ride west, and the next thing I knew, he was in the passenger seat. The first thing I noticed was his smell. It wasn't bad exactly, but it was distinct, like damp earth and something sharper I couldn't place. Then there were his eyes. They were deep-set and intense, as gray and electric as storm clouds. He thanked me for the lift and thrust out his hand. Mickey, he said. I shook it as I introduced myself and almost flinched. His skin was cold as ice. I asked Mickey if he had been out in the rain long, and he nodded. He said it felt like an eternity waiting out there. He was lucky I drove by. Maybe we're both lucky, he smiled. He had no address for his destination. He'd just direct me further down the road. And he had no luggage, which he explained was because he was local. How you can be local to miles of wild, empty desert, he never said. Still, I was grateful for the company. Between the rain and my own tired mind, I was beginning to feel like I was blending into that desert landscape. It was refreshing to have another living, breathing person next to me, even if he wasn't much of a talker. For the next ten miles, we rode in silence with nothing but the rhythm of my windshield sweeping away the rain. I wished the radio worked so I could drown out the uneasy silence, but there was still nothing but that awful static. Not even Nighthawk AM. So I asked Mickey if he believed in time travel. Mickey said he didn't know about time machines and all that, but he did believe in crossing dimensions. Like you can cross borders on a highway, he supposed there were special places where you could pass through some hidden boundary between past and present, life and death, even heaven and hell. A chill rushed through me. This guy hardly said ten words since he got in my car, and now he was waxing poetic about interdimensional time travel. But I did ask, didn't I? Once again, I changed the subject. Why was he hitchhiking anyway? Did he get stranded? Mickey smiled. I guess you could say that. He explained he always felt that way. Stranded. He lived in these parts a long time and was always itching to get out. But try as he might... He never really could. I knew that itch well. It was what kept me coming back to L.A. trying to carve myself a foothold so I could get out of Maryland for good. 
But every time a job ended, I was right back where I started, Annapolis. And for an ambitious kid like me, home felt like purgatory. So I told Mickey I knew exactly what he meant. Finally, we were having a real conversation. But soon, our small talk went south. You seem sharp, Rod. So what the heck are you doing picking up strangers in the middle of the night? Not very safe, is it? He was right. I didn't know him. Hell, Mickey may not have even been his real name. I could have picked up some kind of criminal. He could be trying to rob me. My heart dropped to my stomach. Just then, in the periphery of my vision, I saw Mickey reach into his pocket. My body lurched and I swerved, hard. Something metallic slipped from Mickey's hand to the floor. He picked it up and I braced myself for the muzzle of a gun or a knife. It was a flask. Relax. He took a long swig. I realized then what that smell was from earlier. This man reeked of booze. Suddenly, his off-putting behavior made sense. Everything, I reminded myself, had an explanation. Just as my pulse began to settle, the cabin of the car was flooded with blue and red light. In the rear view, a highway patrol appeared out of nowhere. As I pulled over, Mickey winked at me and slipped the silver flask back in his pocket. I swallowed hard. Seconds later, a pot-bellied trooper strolled up to my open window. Despite my pounding heart and the cop's glaring flashlight, I managed to deliver a cool, good evening, officer. Mickey, for his part, gave the cop a small salute. The trooper grunted and explained he pulled me over for erratic driving. He'd just seen me swerve. I was drinking, wasn't I? I froze. Could he smell the booze on Mickey? I assured him I was just on an all-night drive and must have started drifting off. But luckily, I had company. I gestured to Mickey in the passenger seat. The officer looked in his direction and raised an eyebrow. Mickey smiled back. Then, with something like fatherly concern, the cop asked, Was everything all right? Did I feel all right? My mind started racing. Should I tell this guy about Mickey? Sure, something was off about the dude, but what would I even say? Hey, officer, this hitchhiker I picked up might be a wanted criminal, but he's probably just drunk. And that open flask in my car? Never seen it in my life. Nah, it was better not to say anything at all. The cop sighed. You know, he said, driving tired was just as dangerous as driving drunk. It was easy to fall asleep at the wheel in these parts, especially, he said, when you were driving by yourself. I figured he was talking about his own late-night drive, but I thanked him regardless. He nodded and disappeared once he came. Finally, I could breathe. My relief only lasted so long. Once back on the road, I remembered my real problem was sitting beside me in the passenger seat. Mickey gave me a grin that made my skin crawl then took another pull of his flask. It was then I made a promise to myself. I'd give this drunken weirdo one more chance, but if things got any stranger, I'd ditch his ass the next chance I got. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. 
Bite Clear Aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We sat in silence for miles with nothing but the sound of the rain pelting the windshield. But as my eyelids began to droop, Mickey started talking. Or ramble more like it. I noticed his words were running into each other. The alcohol was affecting him. He explained he'd made some bad choices. You don't want to be like me, Rodney. Stranded, catching a ride every night. You're young, with your whole life ahead of you. You then crash. You're on the side of the road, grass growing through your bones. That was the last straw. I'd given this dude the benefit of the doubt, but he kept getting weirder. That logical voice in my head was running out of nice, clean explanations, and my gut was telling me a very different story. Drunk or not, something was wrong with this guy. So at the next clearing, I pulled over and told Mickey I had to take a leak. Really, I just needed some excuse to get out, because stashed in my trunk was a baseball bat. I'm not a violent guy, but back then, L.A. was rougher than it is today. And some nights I had no option but to sleep in my car. So if someone messed around, they were going to find out. And right now, I wanted to make sure that bat was in arm's reach if I needed it. I grabbed my wallet and keys, just in case Mickey got some funny ideas, and wandered off to a far patch of scraggly trees when the hair stood up on the back of my neck. I was being watched. I spun around when something moved in the corner of my vision. I looked to my car to find the passenger door was wide open. I crept toward the truck till I could hear the steady chime of the open door. Mickey was gone, but I had the distinct feeling he was still around. I grabbed the baseball back from my trunk and gripped it tight. My chest was growing with dread, but I called for Mickey anyway. Just then, something scuttled in and out of the brush. I couldn't tell what it was, but that was enough. It was time to leave. Now. I hightailed it to the car and threw my keys in the ignition. But as the headlights kicked on, I froze. There, illuminated in my high beams, was a coyote. But not just any coyote. I swear on my grandmother it was the same damn coyote I'd nearly hit a couple of hours before. I don't know how it caught up to me. Its eyes glowed in that way animals do at night. Two soulless orbs gazing from the abyss. It snarled when the car door slammed. My heart nearly jumped out of my mouth. Mickey sat beside me, smiling and bleary-eyed like nothing happened. What are you staring at? 
Rodney. But when I went to point at the coyote, it was gone. I felt a bit better knowing the bat was just beside my seat. Mickey hummed a little country song as we drove on. We were close, he said. His stop was down the bend. I took comfort in the fact that he'd soon be out of my car, no confrontation needed, and this bizarre night would be over. He had me turn down an unmarked dirt road. It felt like no one had driven there in decades. The brush was thicker, encroaching on the narrow dirt lane. My truck felt like an unwelcome guest in this place, a disturbance. I drove slowly, even though every part of me wanted to get this over with as soon as possible. Mickey looked at me and frowned. Look, I know you wanted to hurry. You want to go all kinds of places fast. But there's a danger to that. And if you're not careful, you could end up just like me. One bad choice and stranded, going nowhere. He ended his speech with another sip of his flask. I looked out at the secluded road and realized something. Mickey had said all that with perfect clarity. His slur was gone. He wasn't drunk. Maybe he never was. And he wasn't going to rob me either. He was going to kill me. I started breathing fast and thinking faster. Then I slipped my left hand discreetly beside my seat and gripped the bat. With all the control I could muster, I turned to Mickey and said, I don't want any trouble. His thin lips twisted into a smile. Trouble was all around us. (laughs) I couldn't control it. It was about how I navigated it. Like the weather. As soon as he uttered the word, a crack of thunder boomed from the heavens and the rain became a downpour. I stared at him, frozen. It was then I considered that other voice buried deep in my mind. Not the logical one, but the one I'd been shushing for a long, long time. It told me that maybe Mickey wasn't a drunk, or a criminal, or even a killer. Maybe Mickey wasn't human. I white-knuckled the steering wheel, my heart matching the frantic rhythm of my wipers. Are you afraid, Rodney? Do exactly as I say, or else. What do you want, I asked, the fear seeping into my words. He said this wasn't about him. This was about what I wanted. And I wanted to live a good life, right? I had big, shiny dreams, and I wanted to get there fast. His icy fingers curled around my shoulder and his gaze bore into my skull. He instructed me to do exactly as he said. Or else, he told me, you'll die tonight. His words sapped the air from my lungs. Then, my headlights went out. My foot instinctively went for the brake, but Mickey's voice cut through the dark. Keep driving. I obeyed, because that small voice, the same one that told me maybe Mickey wasn't human, also told me to do as he said. Mickey's eyes glowed in the dark in the same way that the coyotes did. Green orbs shining from his skull, a nocturnal predator caught in the headlights. My blood froze. Who are you? I whispered. You don't know me, Rodney Barnes. But I know you, and I have a message to give you. 
Be smart, Rodney. You come home safe. I screamed, and Mickey laughed my grandmother's laugh as we raced through the dark. He turned, his predator eyes searing into my soul, and uttered one word. Break. Just as I saw a glint of metal, I smashed the brakes. My tires screamed some awful course into the desert darkness. I'll never forget that sound. It's all I remember before everything plunged to night. When I came to, it was dawn. I sat up with a groan holding my throbbing skull. I felt like I'd been hit by a truck. That's when I realized I had been hit. Actually, I hit something. I looked around to find that I was alone. Thank God. But that didn't mean Mickey wasn't out there waiting. I grabbed my trusty bat and stumbled out of the truck. In the dim morning light, I could see miles of scrub brush and cacti, but not a soul in sight. Relieved, I lowered my bat and went to assess the damage. I'd slammed straight into a steel guardrail. My bumper was busted, but the rest of my old truck was miraculously intact. I was lucky. It wasn't until I looked around that I realized that was an understatement. Just over the guardrail, the road plummeted into a deep gully. If it wasn't for that small stretch of meadow, I would have met my end on the boulders below. I don't know if it was relief or the jarring realization of my own fragile mortality, but I laughed until I saw something in the corner of my eye. A coyote. The coyote was at the end of the guardrail just sitting there, so close I could see its storm gray eyes. I don't know what came over me, but I walked toward that wild creature like a man in a trance. It stared me down as I approached less afraid of me than I was of it. I got so close I could touch it, and then it calmly stood and trotted off into the brush. I watched as it disappeared into the dusk, smiling like a damn fool. It felt like one of those beautiful cosmic moments, like I'd been in reaching distance to God. Then I saw at the end of the guardrail exactly where the coyote had sat was a plaque. It was worn and rusted, but the engraving was still legible. It read, This barrier constructed in memory of Michael Mickey Ryan, 1944 to 1968. A bold life taken too soon. I touched the old plaque and the realization hit me like a freight train. I picked up a ghost. And as the desert sun rose bright over those hills, I began to cry. Soon as I re-entered civilization, I booked the first motel I saw and got some sleep. Then I hightailed it out of New Mexico and didn't look back. I never took the desert route from Maryland to L.A. again, and I sure as hell didn't drive all night. I still won't. I never could decide what it was I saw. At first, that good old logical part of me insisted it was all a dream, the whacked-out result of a tired mind and overactive imagination. But that other voice, my gut, said it was too vivid to be anything but real. Since that day, I've done some research and found that there's a name for what I experienced, a phenomenon called the Phantom Hitchhiker. Accounts go back as far as the Bible of travelers on horseback picking up mysterious passengers, Versions of the tale appear around the world, but they all end the same. Once the stranger disappears, the traveler realizes they were dead all along. 
Regardless, I'm damn lucky to be alive. I was reckless and cocky, and ghost or not, one thing I know is true. If it wasn't for Mickey, I'd be dead in a ditch, just like him. That night changed me. I listened to my grandma after that. I listened to her advice and to her stories. I learned the stranger the tale, the more important the lesson. And though we may be afraid these terrifying encounters will end our life, sometimes, if we pay attention, they might just save us instead. Run Fool is a production of Ballin Studios, Campside Media, and Atwell Media. It is hosted and executive produced by me, Rodney Barnes. This episode was written by Alex Garland and produced by Abakar Adan and Lee Mengistu. Editing by Matt Scher. It was also sound design and mixed by Kevin Seaman. Creature vocalization by Terry Cashburn and artwork by Jessica Clogston Kiner. Production support by Jeremy Bond and Cole Lacasio. Special thanks to our operations team, Doug Slaywin, Ashley Warren, Sabina Mara, and Destiny Dingle. Executive producers at Ballin Studios are Mr. Ballin, Nick Witters, and Zach Little. Executive producers at Atwell Media are Will Malnati and Rosie Guerin. Executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Scher, Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hall. Thanks for listening and see you next week.